we have been going through um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, although for the past couple months we've been taking a little hiatus as we've discussed the um, an introduction to prophecy, we saw that as we went through the book of Revelation that Jesus had given us a, uh, um, an outline there talking about the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And so we are currently in the section of the things that will be. And we've looked at the nature of prophecy with those sub-thoughts there. And we're in the midst of looking at the conveyance of prophecy. We looked at via the covenants and feasts. We looked at via Daniel. And we took three weeks to do that. And now we're currently in the, in the section of looking at it via other prophets. And we are going to spend, Lord willing, two weeks on this. Today we're going to look at Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at Ezekiel, Hosea, and Zechariah. And so that's a big task. But as I studied it all yesterday, I realized there's no way they were going to get through all five of those prophecies, all five of those prophets, and so I split it up. So today we're going to look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then after that we'll come to uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and 25, and then via Paul as well um, in his, his statements. So before we start, though, um, you have this on your sermon note sheets if you're there. I want to look at some terms first, and the first terms I want to look at is the concept of inductive and deductive study and reasoning. And there's a reason for this, and this is um, it's kind of a review. We've talked about this at times, but it's important for us to use to have, have the right mindset as we're going through all this. Inductive reasoning, generally speaking, inductive reasoning um, goes from the example, while deductive goes from the rule to the example. So with inductive, you're starting with an illustration, and you're building a rule from that, whereas deductive, you're starting with the rule, and you're going to find illustrations that go with that. Now, biblically speaking, when we talk about um, how we do that, inductive starts with a passage and determines the doctrine. Um, in a sense, that's how we like to go. You're going to see it's more exegesis that we use and not inductive. Well, deductive starts with the doctrine and determines the scripture. Now, how does this look? When you study the Word of God, generally speaking, you're using an inductive approach. When you're teaching, you're generally using a deductive approach. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that when I usually come and I teach on Sunday morning or I teach Sunday school or whatever, I'm usually teaching you with a deductive approach. That means that I, I have already studied a passage. I already know what I want to say from it, right? And so I already have my points, and then I seek to bring out from the passage the points that go along with it. But the reality is that on, during the course of the week, I've used an inductive approach in going through the passage. Now, what I've been trying to do, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully, as we've gone through this introduction to prophecy, is to try to use an inductive approach. Uh, in other words, to go into this without any preconceived notions. Now, clearly, you have some, I have some. But the desire is that as we go through these passages, that we actually look at the passage, draw out our principles from the passage, that we can apply later to a systematic doctrine of prophecy. Does that make sense? Or of end times. Okay? The other set of terms I want to look at is exegesis versus eisegesis. And they come from two Greek words, exegesis and eisegesis. And literally, it mean, exegesis means to lead out of, and eisegesis means to lead into. So biblically, when we bring those into what we talk about, exegesis means that um, I, have, I extract ideas from the text that I'm examining, okay? So it's the extraction of meaning, okay? Whereas eisegesis, rather than taking meaning from the passage, I'm rather going to read into the passage what I actually already believe, okay? And sad thing is 
that many people, when they teach, teach eisegetically rather than exegetically. They know what they want to tell people, and so they're going to try to find verses that sort of say what they want it to say. And so then they read into that passage what they want it to say. Sad to say, one of the places we see that a lot as well is in prophecy. We eisegese eisegese passages rather than exegete them. And so um, we know what we believe about the end times, and so therefore when we come to a passage, rather than struggling over it and trying to figure out how does this apply, and do I necessarily need to change what I believe, we try to bring it and fit it into the context of what I already believe. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about that as we go along, not just through these prophecies here, but as we get into the book of Revelation itself. Because I think that there is a lot of eisegesis that happened um, in there, um, using a deductive approach, rather than people who have inductively looked at the Word of God, and then exegeted the meaning from it. Okay? So, not necessarily are any of these terms evil or wrong, it's just that they have their place, and we want to be more inductive and exegetical in our in the way we look at things. Does that make sense? Okay? Though we will use um, deduction and eisegesis at times. So we want to start this morning um, in, in these prophecies with the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2. And so turn with me to Isaiah 2. None of the, none of the verses are going to be up here because we've got a lot of long passages. And so, and I don't want everybody to get um, used to just looking at the screen rather than looking at the word of God itself. And so turn to Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to look at the first five verses four verses of, of Isaiah 2, and then with it we're going to look at Micah, um, chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Okay? So beginning in Isaiah 2, beginning verse 1, says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, the times of the end, that the mountain of the Lord's house, of Yahweh's house, shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and, he shall, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Now, keep your finger in Isaiah, because we'll come back to it, but turn back to Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Okay? Micah chapter 4. Where we read almost a... A total reiteration of the exact same prophecy. Micah 4, beginning of verse 1, says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established on the top of the mountain, and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion... The law shall go forth in the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, 
neither shall they learn war anymore. And so, in these passages, again, I want to try to look at this inductively if we can, yet I understand that I am deductively putting this out. I have already come up with my concepts of, of, of points here. But the first thing I saw as I go through this is that, first of all, then the nations, in these latter days, we're told that these, this thing's going to happen in the latter days, that the nations will flow to the house of God. Did you see that? Now, what does that mean? I know I'm, I'm incorporating a couple thoughts together here. If the nations are going to flow to the house of Yahweh, what's the first thing that that means? It's not just going to be the Jews, but even before that. Say again. They're not at the house of God. You're getting closer. In order for them to go to the house of God, what has to happen? There has to be one. So, incorporated, my first point when I was was doing this, and I was kind of putting just, you know, how inductively as you go through, you just kind of write notes. You know, what is the passage saying? Well, first of all, my first thought when I came to this was what? The temple is going to be there. In these latter days, the temple will once again be on the mountain of God. Now this is important to me, and we'll see this in some of the other passages, there is a lot of belief that, um, and it comes out with um, the Left Behind series, and you're going to hear a lot of times that I, I disagree with the Left Behind series. It's a great read, it's, it's a phenomenal book, you can give it to your unsaved loved ones, the gospel's presented, it's, 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 it's great stuff. The movies are good, but it's not, from my perspective, totally accurate. Okay. One of the things that they, they, they use in the Left Behind series is a theory that is going around right now that potentially that the temple can be rebuilt uh, on the same place as the, the Dome of the Rock. That they have found the location of Solomon's temple and it's on the southern side, the southern part of the Temple Mount, not where the Dome of the Rock is. And so therefore, the temple can be rebuilt standing right next to the um, the Dome of the Rock. What, what would be a problem with that? What, what, is, what is that place where the Dome of the Rock is seated right now? What is it called as a whole? The Temple Mount. What does that mean? What does it, te- what does it mean to be a Temple Mount? That the whole thing is holy. The whole thing is for the Temple. And so, the, it would be where the court would be Originally, so even if the temple was located, and probably was, on the southern section of the Temple Mount, to even have the Dome of the Rock there, say again, is blasphemous. That's exactly right. So from my perspective, now, I could be, could I be wrong? I could be wrong, okay? And they could actually build this thing with the Dome of the Rock sitting there. I don't think it'll happen that way. I think that somehow, we don't understand how this could happen. But honestly, a hundred years ago, when people were coming up with looking at the end times, they came up with a lot of different theories about end times because Israel wasn't what? A nation. And nobody could conceive how they would ever become a nation again. But now here we are, 50-something years later, and what do we know? Israel's a nation. And one of the most powerful nations on earth. Not the most powerful, but it's an amazing thing. And so... Though I don't understand it, somehow I know that in the future, the house of Yahweh, the temple of God, will be rebuilt. On the mountain. Not someplace else. They won't find another place for it. 
but it will stand and it will be where God determines it to be. And in that then, the nations that are existing at that time will come, will flow to the Temple Mount. They will flow to the house of God. Why will they flow to the house of God? Well, they'll flow to the house of God in order to be taught God's word. And in that then, with God reigning on the earth, the nations will not only come to the flow to the, the, the house of God, they will be at peace with one another. Anybody know why they'll be at peace with one another? Say again. Perhaps a treaty? Maybe. Who will be reigning at this point? Who, who are we told who's going to come here and be on the earth? Go ahead. God. God. What else do we know him by? Yahweh. Yahweh. And what is it? What is the earthly name that we know him by? Okay, Chris. Jesus. Jesus is going to reign. He is the branch of righteousness that's going to come. And he's going to reign on the earth. He is the son of David, if you would. He is the king who will reign in that land. And we're told that in the millennium, now here I am deductive, right? Here I am bringing in my own, my, 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 and so you've got to be careful about, you know, trying to divorce yourself. But in a sense, teaching-wise, I want to bring this in so that kind of, when you come to Revelation, remember this. I mean, because this is part of the millennial part, the millennial kingdom, where, where the king is going to be reigning. And those who are at that time, the nations that are still remaining, they are going to come. We'll see this next week in the book of Zechariah. They're going to come to worship God. They're going to come to learn from his word. Now, I think this is a phenomenal thing. And it's a challenge to me, and it ought to be a challenge to you. Because as I read this, that at that time, these nations, who are ne not necessarily God-fearing people at going into this, okay, are going to do what? They're going to, first of all, come to God. They're going to seek his word to be taught. And they're going to be submissive to his word, being at peace with one another. They're, they're going to beat their, plowshare, um, their, their spears into plowshares, right? What about me today? If I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, if, if, if he is mine and I know him, right? What should be my, my great desire? What did David say in um, Psalm 63? He says, O oh God, thou art my God. Early or earnestly will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee as in a dry and thirsty land. And, and, and where does he say that he'd rather spend his time than any other place? In the house of God. I ought to be like these nations flowing to the house of God. How often? Every day. Every day. Now, I understand the temple physically isn't there right now. But you and I know, context of scripture, where is the temple of God? In us. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you are the temple of God. God dwells within you. And you ought to have the desire then to be fed by the word of God. That's why the nations are be going to the physical temple, to be fed by God's word. To be taught by his truth. I, if I know him, ought to already be doing those things even now. I have to be at peace, what? With one another. Why are the nations going to be at peace with one another? Because of the presence of Jesus Christ. And so if God is present with me, you get it? What should be encompassing my life? Peace. I have 
peace with God. I'm at peace. I'm at peace with God. I have the peace of God. And therefore, because I have peace with God and peace of God, I can have peace with others. Okay? And so I want to encourage you in this as we go through this. So, what do we see prophetically then? We see that the nations are going to flow to the house of God, and nations will be at peace with one another. Turn back to chapter 34 and 35. You thought, boy, this message is going to go pretty quick. Now you know why, when we start saying chapter 34 and chapter 35, now you know why I decided to split this. And there was a part of me that honestly thought about doing this deductively. Even after I had wrote all that down, I thought, wow, 34 and 35, that's a lot of reading. That's a lot of listening. Maybe I ought to just tell you the points and trust that maybe on your, you'll read it. Then I thought, no, which is more important, the Word of God or my deductive points about the Word of God? So, which is the answer? The Word of God. So, guess what we're going to do? We're going to read the Word of God, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll, you can stay seated, but I'm going to read chapter 34 and chapter 35. Don't snore too loudly if this gets too um, boring for you, but... But stay with me. Read along with me, okay? Alright. It says, Come near, you nations, to hear. And heed, you people. Let the earth hear in all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of Yahweh is against all nations, in his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from the corpses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine. And as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed it shall come down on Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of Yahweh is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness in the blood of lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For Yahweh has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. For it is the day of Yahweh's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its streams shall be turned into pitch, and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. Also the owl and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all its princes shall be nothing. And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for, for ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat its, to its companion. Also the night creature shall rest there, and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow snake shall make her nest and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall the hawks be gathered, every one with her mate. Search from the book of Yahweh and read. Not one of these shall fail, 
Not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast a lot for them, and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. Before we move into 35, how would you summarize 34? Say again. Bleak. Bleak. Okay. Very bleak. What do you think is happening? What does God say is going to happen here? Tyre area is going to go back to the wilderness. Why? Judgment. Judgment. The judgment of Yahweh will be on the nations. God, I mean, listen to what he says right off the very back. He says, come near you, what? You nations. And heed you people. The world and all the things that come forth from it. God's putting out a, a message, not just to his people. It's to us. It's to the nations. It's to the world. There is a message that we have for the world. It is a message of, of good news, of salvation, of redemption. But as well, there is a message that has to be given to the, the world as well. And that's a message of what? It's pending judgment. Do you remember when God sent Jonah to Nineveh? Did he, go, did he send him with the gospel? Did he send him with the good news that, that Jesus wants to save you from your sins? No, Jesus wasn't born yet. No, what did he tell them? They're in peril. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And Nineveh, the Ninevites, are going to rise up in judgment upon the people of Jesus' day because the people of Nineveh did what? They repented. They responded to the message of impending judgment and they repented of their sin. They turned to God. And so these nations were told at this time in the future that this is what's going to happen, that God's going to pour out his judgment. And he's going to cause the land to become like a wilderness. Uninhabited. But we move on in chapter 35. And it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Get this. You know? The, the things that were fertile are going to become wasteland. And the things that were wasteland are going to do what? They're going to start to blossom. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of Yahweh, the Shekhanah Chabod, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. In a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh shall return. And come to Zion with singing. 
with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. How would you, uh, how would you summarize this one? If the judgment of God, if the judgment of Yahweh was going to be upon the nations, what do we see here? What do you say? Tell me that again. The grace of God. I put glory. Okay, the glory of Yahweh will be revealed in Zion. But you're same thing. The grace of God on the on the righteous. God is going to come down and He's going to reveal His glory. We're told in a miraculous way. The Shekhinah Chabot, the, the tabernacling glory of God is going to come to this earth. And he is going to cause the, the, the wastelands to become fertile lands. And the places where no water was, it's going to have pools of water. And there's going to be grass that springs forth. We're told in other places that even the Dead Sea is going to have fish in it. Do you know why people call the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea? Because there's no life in it. That there are so many mineral deposits in that sea that nothing can live in it. That fish come down the Jordan River and the minute they enter into the Dead Sea, they die. It's so corrosive. They can't live in it. And so they die and they become part of the, uh, the mineral deposits that are there. But we're told that the Dead Sea will even thrive and people will fish in the Dead Sea. Isn't that awesome stuff? I mean, think about that. What's going to happen? So the glory of God, glory of Yahweh, is going to be revealed in Zion. Now, in that glory being revealed, he is also then going to make a what? A highway. A straight path that people are going to be able to walk upon. Who are going to walk upon it? The righteous. Now, know what it says about when these people, the righteous, the redeemed, walk upon, the ransomed, walk upon this road. I love this. I mean, I have it underlined for me. In that when he walks upon it, Whoever walks the road, although a what? Although a fool. You're looking at probably the biggest fool. You know? And, and I, you should say the same thing. You say you're being self-deprecating. No, we all should be consider ourselves. As, as Paul said, he was the chief of all sinners. We all ought to consider ourselves the chief of all sinners. That's me. I am a fool. I mean, it's only by God's grace that I, I'm saved and I'm his child. But left to myself, even now, left to myself, what am I going to choose? The deceptions of my heart. And so, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Yahweh tells Joshua, don't turn to the left or to the right. Stay on the path. But do you know what God promises us that he'll, he'll help us do? Stay on the path. What do I have to do? Seek Him. Look to Him. Trust Him. Allow Him to be my guide. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. God desires to give us instruction. God desires to, to show us right paths. Psalm 19 tells us that the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It tells us that the word of God, the law of God, the statutes of God are right, they're pure. They give us instructions. Psalm 119. David over and over again talks about 
Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That over and over and over again, in order that I, for me to walk in the right path, in the straight path, in the narrow way, it comes because I do what? Spend time in God's word. In his law, the law of the Lord. In meditating in the law of the Lord day and night. And so the glory of Yahweh is going to be revealed. My question I come for me now with application drawing out of this to me today. I mean, this is nice. This is later, right? This is in the latter days. This is when in the end times, the millennial time, and, and all that kind of time when Jesus Christ, he comes and reigns on the earth. That doesn't apply to me because I'm going to be raptured before that, right? So all of this is really nice, but it's, it's out there. I believe that the whole word of God applies to me even today. So how does this apply to me today? What do I need to draw out of Isaiah 34 and 35 for today? Well, from the judgment of the nations, I understand that God what? God hates sin. Remember what we talked about this morning in Sunday school from 1 Corinthians chapter 6? That God very clearly says that those who are fornicators, those who are adulterers, those who are thieves, those who are extortioners, those who are homosexuals, those who are sodomites, will have no part in the kingdom of God. And if I am playing with sin, and I'm not really his, the reality is, one day, that's waiting for me. But the fact is, even right now, when I walk in sin, how does my life become? What does it start to look like? A wasteland. Doesn't it? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And because he does that, he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in the sea. And this leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. But the what? But the ungodly, or the the unrighteous or the ones who are not spending time in God's word are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. They're all dried up. Do you get the picture that's there? That if I'm spending time in God's word, I'm going to be like the glory of Yahweh revealed in Zion. I'm going to be like those deserts that are all sudden bringing forth um, the vegetation. I'm going to be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. So even when there's drought all around me, there's there's fruit hanging from my tree. But when I walk away from God, when I walk away from Jesus Christ, when John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that remains in me and my word abides in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So when I am apart from the vine, what does my life become like? Fruitless and looking like a wasteland. And so, what does your life look like right now? Are you fruitful for Jesus? For the kingdom? Or are you a wasteland? Is it kind of a desert right now? If you're feeling like there's just it's out there and you have no you have no direction, you know, like the kind of the guy's in the middle of the desert and doesn't know where he's going to turn, maybe it's that you need to turn back to Yahweh. You need to turn back to Christ. And get back on the the highway of holiness rather than the highway of hell. 
years ago. I sang that song with great delight. That, you know, ACDC. I'm on the highway to hell. And I was. But praise God, through Jesus Christ, I'm now what? I'm on the highway of holiness. Praise the Lord for that. So, Jeremiah 23. Let's turn there. Let's look to the prophet of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 23, we're going to look at the first 22 verses. Steve read this earlier, but for the teaching's sake, I'm going to read it again. 23 verse 1, beginning verse 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy. This is, man, it just stops me on my track all the time when I read this. Because technically I'm a under-shepherd, right? And so I'm supposed to shepherd the house of God in and this just, it just kills me. Because I, I know that if I do something that's wrong and I scatter the sheep, you know, I'm, 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 I give account for this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says Yahweh. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them, who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Sound familiar? We just read about that in Isaiah, right? A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will be well safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, that they shall no longer say, as Yahweh lives, who brought us up, the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But, rather they will say, as Yahweh lives, who brought up and led us, the descendants of the house of Israel, from the north country, and from all the countries where I had driven them. And they shall dwell in their own land. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, and a man from wine has, and like a man whom wine has overcome, because Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of the curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith Yahweh. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall on them. For I will bring disaster on them. The year of their punishment, says Yahweh. And I will see, for I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They have prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. Also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me, in her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore thus saith Yahweh, Zabiot, the Lord of hosts, concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them to drink the water of gall. And from the prophets of Jerusalem profaneness has gone out into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart. 
not from the mouth of Yahweh. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his words and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of Yahweh has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of Yahweh will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Now, all the way back in the beginning of the chapter, what do we see? What do we see beginning to happen in chapter 23? What do we, what do we, what do we begin reading in the, in the beginning of the chapter? What's God going to do? Before that. Before that, what happens? What does he say he's going to do? Verse 3. Yeah. There's going to be a gathering of Israel back to the land. It says that they're going to come. No longer will they, Israel be saying, Hey, this is, you know, about Yahweh who, who brought us up out of Egypt. Because remember, it, I mean, that's Israel's biggest thing. You know, Yahweh, he's the one who's brought us out of Egypt. But rather, they're going to start saying now, Yahweh's the one who brought us out of all these other nations. What has been going on since the 1940s in such a miraculous manner? The regathering of Jews to the Holy Land. It's amazing um, how many Jews have been repatriated to Israel and still are moving further. And, and I believe that we'll see even a, um, a greater amount of people coming to there. Now, in that repatriation of Israel to to um, of the, the Jews, of the Israelites, back to Israel, we then begin to see the second part to start happening. Because Israel, if, if Israel was brought back immediately, okay, then, then there would be no judgment at that moment. But Israel has been brought back, right? And they've had the opportunity to do what? Over the last 50-something years. What have they had the opportunity to do? Come on, who's Israel? They've had the opportunity to turn back to God. Who is Israel? They are the chosen nation. They are the people of God. They're the ones who are supposed to be worshiping God, right? And so, rather, if you looked at Israel, would you rather, are they a secular nation? Or are they a religious nation? They're a secular nation. Isn't that a sad thing? And so they still, as we, here in the United States, because the United States is not a Christian nation either. Many of us think we're a Christian nation, but the United Nations has us listed as a pagan nation. The world knows what we are. We just see ourselves. We think that we're a Christian nation. But the world knows we're not. The world knows that we're the one who pump um, fornication throughout the whole world. I mean, who do you, who's, who's the one that's, that's pushing abortion and, and pornography throughout the world? It's the United States. We need to get off our high horse and understand who we really are. Okay? We are a, a pagan nation that is leading the world into a bunch of uh, fornication and adultery. But Israel is, is, a, is, a, is a secular nation as well. They are not one right now that is turned to the Lord. And God says that he is going to judge them 
once again. But in this time, in this, this day, when there's going to be the gathering of the, the, the people back to Israel, we're told that in this time there's going to be false prophets. There are going to be prophets that come who God says, I didn't what? I didn't send them. I didn't tell them to speak for me. But they're going to do what? They're going to go anyway. There's going to be all these people who are going to speak. Now, this is important. Think about it. Especially when we come to Jesus. We know, right, from Matthew 24. You know, if you don't know this, you'll hear this in about two weeks, Lord willing. And that is that Jesus says that in that last days, there are going to be many false prophets. There are going to be many antichrists. People who, who say that they are anointed ones, and they're not. The word Christ doesn't, um, doesn't mean a savior. What Christ means in the Greek is anointed ones. Messiah is the word for anointed one. And so I, I find it very interesting that there are many people today who claim to be prophets or claim to have a special anointing. And God says very clearly, all the way back, even in the days of Jeremiah, that in the latter days, in the end times, these are things that are going to be indicative of our day. There will be all these false prophets. My neighbor... <coughs> Just told, who, who was it? Was it Matt or who? Matt? Where you at? He was telling you? He's starting to stock up for the next year because a prophet told him that it was happening. Someone just told me just the other day, a week ago, that, um, that judgment's going to be poured out beginning in October, September, October, during the fall feast. God's going to start pouring out judgment again. And, and I think, folks, you know, where are we getting all these prophecies from? Do you know over the last 20 years how many prophecies of, of judgment have come? Now, I'm not, the pre, I'm not the prophet who's going to be declaring to you peace, okay? I'm, I'm declaring you judgment to come. I mean, you've got to understand it's coming. But I'm not going to tell you it's tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to be. And I'm not telling you to live in fear. What I'm telling you is to know Jesus Christ. Because if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, there's no reason to live in fear. Does that make sense? Even though I may go through some of the, the, the persecution, though I may go through some of the trials and the tribulations, be of good cheer. What? I've overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, so I don't, there's no worry for me at all. But all these prophecies, these prophets come, and if you notice, a lot of these times these prophets come, they really bank upon fear. You know, you've got to be fearful. You've got to be fearful. No, there's no fearfulness that's coming. And so be careful the ones who start setting dates, and they say, it's happening right now. Jesus said what? Remember the first thing we did, the nature of it. No man knows the, the day or the hour. But we should be like those who are of the day, and we should see the things that are happening, and you'll know it. Okay, straight up, right now, I haven't seen enough indicators for me to think that some of the, 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 the hard times are coming this fall. Could they happen? In a moment. That's right, because it says when they say what? Peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, in three weeks from now. But prophecy is always, I hope you're getting this as we've gone through all this, prophecy is always from the perspective of who? Well, God, but, but earth-wise. No. Yeah, but as a whole, when we go through these end times prophecies, they're always, in a sense, from the perspective of the Jews. You know, when God wants it to be specific to the nations, he talks to the nations. But otherwise, his prophecies are always from the perspective of, of Jerusalem and Jews, the Holy Land. 
And so you need to remember that as we go through certain things, even as we go through the New Testament, if I forget to tell you that, it's, it's important. You know, when they say peace and safety, I believe he's talking about the Jews. He's not talking about just people in the world. He's talking about the Jews. The Jews are going to think they have peace and safety. Okay? So um, there's going to be false prophets that are out there. And these false prophets are going to be telling people, don't worry about it, just like they did in the Old Testament. Don't, no, there's no judgment coming. Don't worry about the judgment. Things are wonderful. Things are great. God's blessing you. And it just drives me bonkers when I hear people in the church, pastors, talk about the blessings of God upon our nation. And I think, don't they read Romans chapter 1? Don't they understand that we're following a God of, of materialism? Don't they look at the blessings and curses from Deuteronomy chapter 28 and so forth and understand that when a nation is being a, a, a servant to the lender, when they are borrowing and not loaning, that they are no longer under the blessings of God, but that they're rather under the curses. And we have got trillions of dollars that prove that we're not being blessed, but rather under the curses of God. I mean, if there's one thing that tells people that God is not blessing us, it's that national debt. Think about it. And who are we in debt to? Our enemies. Our enemies. We're in debt to our enemies. We're borrowing from our enemies. Go back and read Deuteronomy 28 in that area about the blessings and curses upon a nation when they, when they serve God and when they don't serve God. This is mind-boggling. Sorry. So we have false prophets. So that will be there. And finally we see that there will be a deliverance of Israel via the branch of righteousness. That, that in those times that God is going to come, as he said in Isaiah, that he's going to come and he's going to deliver the children of Israel again. There is so much assurance that is there for us. For me as a believer, even in the midst of whatever pains that may happen and the tribulation that's going to go on, the fact is that God still knows me, he loves me. If I'm his chosen, then there will be a deliverance. And just as there will for the children of Israel. We know from uh, Romans chapter 11, Paul says, in one day, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Now, that's mind-boggling, too. Because many people look at Israel and they say, Israel? That country? Do you know what they're doing? Do you know the atrocities? And I say, do you know what we do? Do you know our atrocities? Is not the grace of God greater than our atrocities? Is not the plan of God sure? It is. Let's move on to our last passage this morning. Jeremiah chapter 30. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 30. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Thus speaks Yahweh, God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says Yahweh, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words that Yahweh spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus saith Yahweh, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. So why do I see every man with his hand on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Do you love the picture, guys? Alas, for that, great, that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. 
For it shall come to pass in that day, saith Yahweh Shabbat, the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, saith Yahweh, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, saith Yahweh, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice, and will not let you go altogether unpunished. For thus saith the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause, that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded with you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitudes of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable. Because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plundered, and all who prey upon you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, saith Yahweh, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. Thus saith Yahweh, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I will glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, saith Yahweh? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of Yahweh goes before the, with fury. A continuing whirlwind, it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of Yahweh will not return until he has done it, and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will consider or know it. Now did you note, in, verse, in chapter 23, in verse 30, or in chapter 30, how many statements were about the same? But you note the, the final statement there about in the latter days? We talked about this a little bit from De, uh, Daniel chapter 12. That in the latter days you will what? You'll understand. In the latter times, you'll understand it. Though right now, you can't get a grip on how this is all going to happen. In the latter days, you'll get it. Because it'll start to happen. It'll start to unfold and you'll start to understand it all. Well, here in chapter 30, what's the first thing we see? It's the same thing we saw in chapter 23. There's going to be a what? A regathering Israel back to the land. God is going to bring this, the, the, his children back from, from the, the countries of the north, from the countries of the west, from the east, from the south. They're going to come back into the land. And as they do, 
there's going to be a great judgment upon Israel. God's going to regather his people, and he's going to chastise them like a loving father. He says, I'm not going to allow your sins to go unpunished. There ought to be a, a challenge to you and me in that as well. If you're walking in sin and you don't think that God's going to do anything about it, you're sadly mistaken. If you are his child, now understand the if. If you're his child. If you're not his child, he's going to let you go on. But if you're his child, he's not going to let you walk in sin. He is going to discipline you. He's going to chastise you. And so if you're walking in sin and there is no chastisement of the Lord, guess what? More than likely, you're not his. But if you, like a child to their parent, continue to rebel against the chastisement, what's going to happen? The chastisement has to get greater and greater. Okay? So God says that there will be great judgment on Israel in order to wake them up. And then finally, there's going to be a great restoration. That God himself will bring the restoration. That Jesus Christ is going to come. We know that. We're reading that back into it. But we know that Jesus Christ is going to come. And he's going to bring this great restoration. He's going to bring this great um, redemption to Israel. And so all Israel will be saved. Behold, the whirlwind of Yahweh goes forth with fury. But that fury ultimately will turn from his people because judgment starts in the house of God and will be turned to the nations. So, questions. What's your view of biblical prophecy? Do they line up with the scripture? As we've been going through these things, what you think is going to happen in the future, is it consistent with what God says is going to be happening in the future. I understand, and hopefully you do too as well, and that is that we are influenced by a lot of the teachings that we hear from the world. And I find it very interesting that right now, there is a lot of stuff floating out there on the internet, in the newspapers, and everything else, talking about the end times. So, is what you believe lining up with Scripture? Secondly, what's your view of Israel? Again, is it consistent? with what scripture teaches. So many times I hear people talking about Israel despondent, dis, disparagingly and, uh, and that there's no way. And they forget who they are in Christ Jesus and what God has saved us from and what God is able to do. God has said that Israel is his chosen and one day all Israel will be saved. Do you believe it or not? Do you believe that Israel is a nation right now because God had declared it was going to happen? Do you believe that Israel is a nation right now because God is going to start working his plan through them once again in the near future? It's going to happen. God says so. And finally, how would God describe your life in relationship to him? As we looked and we saw Israel needing to be chastised, as we saw Israel being called, referred to as an adulteress, looking after other gods, and God having to come and chastise. How would God describe your life, Israel? Are you walking after him? Are you seeking him? Or are you seeking after the things of this world? Are you living a life of a wasteland? Or are you living a life of a fruitful area, a verdant field, where God is blessing and God is bringing great fruit? Jesus said very clearly again in John 15, 
that if you remain in him and his word abides in you, that you will bring forth much fruit. And herein is my Father glorified, that you bring forth much fruit. What kind of fruit is being revealed in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to learn from your dealings with the nation of Israel. Lord, that we would desire to walk in the highway of holiness. Even now, Lord, that we would desire to walk in a straight path. Not turning to the left nor to the right. But that you would receive honor and glory in our actions, in, in our words. Lord, cause us to be like cities that are set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. Help us to be the salt in the world. But Lord, very truly you've said, how can the salt do its function if it's lost its saltiness? It's good for nothing but to be trampled on the ground of the feet. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be revived. Lord, give us the, the passion and the desire to be holy as you are holy. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. That you would be magnified in our lives individually. And that you would be magnified in our life as a body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.